We are going through the Gospel of Matthew on Wednesday nights. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 4. And as you are turning there, I will pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love, Lord. We thank you for your guidance. And as we study the Scriptures, Lord, and see how it is you interacted with people and what it is you did, Father, we recognize that you can still do that for us today. And so we thank you so much for the guidance that your word gives us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are inexhaustible. The more we learn about you, Lord, the more we fall in love with you. And so bless your word as we have this time in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 So Matthew chapter 4, we covered verses 1 through 11 last time. And in verses 1 through 11, it was the temptation of Christ where Jesus showed us the power of the word. It is written, he tells Satan three times. Right before that, in John chapter 3, at the end of the chapter, Jesus comes to John, he's at the Jordan River, and he asks that he could be baptized by him. John says, man, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me to be baptized by me. And Jesus says, let it, let it, let it be, you know, for thus we need to fulfill scriptures. And uh, so John does it. And then when we start out today, we're in chapter uh, 4, starting verse 12. Notice it says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And we're not going chronological here in Matthew's Gospel. There's a section that is cut out. So I'm going to have you turn there because there's a section that I want you to look at. All of John chapter 2, 3, and part of chapter 4 happens in between verses 11 and 12. So let's jump over to John's Gospel chapter 2 because I want you to see what's going on chronologically in the ministry of Jesus. So, Matthew 1 through 11 closes, and then you go to John chapter 2, chapter 3, and most of chapter 4, before you get to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. Everybody know what you're doing? Is there anybody who I've confused thoroughly? Yeah. Yep. Matthew chapter 4. Yep. Goes from verses 1 through 11. There's a section of Jesus' life that happens that's not recorded by Matthew. That section is found in John's Gospel, chapter 2, 3, and most of chapter 4. Everybody with me now? Mm-hmm. So I want to show you what's taking place with John the Baptist because it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, that after John was thrown in prison, Jesus decides to leave and go to Galilee. And you're like, oh, that's messed up, Jesus. Man, John got thrown in prison, you're going to leave? But we're going to see what Jesus is doing and why he did that. Okay? So in John's Gospel, chapter 2, is everybody there? You have the first miracle of Jesus after he is baptized. After he experiences the temptations in the garden. So after this awesome God mountaintop experience of being baptized, right? Every time we're blessed, be ready because the enemy is on the attack. He's tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And then you have Jesus on the third day, there was a wedding in Cain of Galilee. So that's where Jesus is. Jump down though to, let's see, where is it? Jump down to, yeah, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover, during the feast, many... <coughs> oh, that wasn't the verse. No verse? 
I don't know. I have no notes. I'm just going to go in from what I've been reading all week. Uh, Jesus does the miracle. He cleanses the temple in John's Gospel, chapter 2. Okay, jump over to John's Gospel, chapter 3. The new birth. I'll find it. Here it is. It is in chapter 3. John, chapter 3. So and then Jesus talks to Nicodemus. He gives him that whole account that you must be born again. And he talks about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that he would draw men unto himself. Then notice verse 22. John 3, 22. Everybody got it? Okay. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Ainan near Salem, because there was much water there. And they, had, they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so the scriptures is telling us that Jesus is with John, and he's baptizing with him in this section after he talks to Nicodemus, after he turns the water into wine, after he cleanses the temple, after he recognizes that he didn't need anybody to tell him what was in man's heart, because he knew what was in man's heart, Right? Verse 25, then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. <clears throat> Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, that's going to be tested in John's life. Okay? Go ahead and jump over to Matthew chapter 4, where we're at. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to read it again, verse 12. Matthew chapter 4. When you get it, say, got it. So we see what's happened. And it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Anybody know why John was put in prison? John the Baptist. There's more than one John, by the way. Because the uh, daughter, uh, what's her name? Herodias. Yeah, she had danced for the king and she wanted that as her yeah. gift. That's going to happen while he's in prison. Yeah, but it was His head on a platter. It was because he kept telling him that he shouldn't have married Philip's wife. Yeah, his brother's yeah. wife. Yeah. Right. So, the king's brother had a wife, Herodias, <coughs> right. and he decides to shack up with this wife of his brother... And John the Baptist says, bro, that's sin. That's wrong. Now, I want you to catch the passion and the zeal of John the Baptist. <clears throat> he comes out, and we read in you know, chapter 1 and 2, we read that he was born of, of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Miraculous birth, right? Parents were already old. They shouldn't have had kids. Uh, Elizabeth was barren. They had prayed that they would have a kid. God blesses them. The angel comes and speaks to, to First Zacharias, oh, Elizabeth, and then Zacharias. And Zacharias doesn't believe it, so he's mute until the birth, right? So you have a miraculous birth. He's the forerunner for Jesus, the prophesied one that would prepare the way. And his passion and his zeal is like 
Jesus said, amongst the prophets, no greater than John the Baptist. I mean, so, so John the Baptist is crazy awesome, right? We just read that he's telling his disciples, um, it's not about me. And I told you guys that it's not about me. It's all about the Messiah. It's all about the Christ, Jesus, the one that's coming. And I'm not worthy to tie, un unloose his sandal strap. He continues to say in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Um, so and then he's outspoken, he's bold, he doesn't care what people think, and he finds himself in prison. We're going to see in Matthew chapter 11, when we get there, the account of all of that and what takes place. But I think it's important for us to understand again, because as I'm reading this first verse, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. It's going to get to the place where John's going to send his disciples to Jesus. And he's going to say, hey, why don't you guys ask this guy, um, are you the one or are we waiting for another? After all that transpires, why? Because he's in prison. And he's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm radical for this guy. I'm like hardcore. I'm like, I'm on it. I'm telling people about him. I'm baptizing people and ready uh, for his ministry and preparation for his ministry. I'm telling them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then I find myself in prison. I'm sitting here. And I get wind that Jesus took off somewhere else. Whoa, that's kind of messed up, right? And from his perspective... But if it's true that he must increase and we must decrease, that's going to be tested in our lives, isn't it? It's going to get to the place where Jesus says, he never answers those disciples' questions. He says, just tell John this. The healed, the lame are healed, the blind see, the, the maimed, you know, are restored, and... Or I have the gospel preached to them. Right? Because that's prophesied of the Messiah. So, John is going to have to believe by faith that Jesus is the one, or he's not. Not because his circumstances are perfect. Not because his life is perfect. And John, to no fault of his own, lands in prison. In fact, because he was faithful to God, he finds himself in prison. Jesus is going to get to the place in his ministry where he's going to say, people are going to be thinking that they're going to do God a service by throwing you in jail. Remember that? John's Gospel, I think it's chapter 16 or somewhere around there. But that's not the case. If they hated me, who are they going to hate? They're going to hate his disciples. And so I see John here as a great picture for us of an individual that your faith is going to be tested. And the genuineness of your faith is going to be proven. And we don't do things, we don't serve God or follow after God or walk in obedience to God because life is going to be perfect. Life will be perfect. In heaven. But this is not heaven. And so the stretching of our faith is going to take place on earth. And I see John as an incredible example of this. Verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. I find it interesting, in your Bibles, you will have a map of Jesus' ministry. And all the time here at the bottom, you're going to find Judea, the region of Judea. And picture Judea like a, I guess like a county, if you will. And then it's got all these little cities. But Judea is always a reference to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always in Judea. If you go up towards Galilee, 
where Jesus hung out, and Nazareth is up there, Capernaum is up there, the Sea of Galilee is up there. What sits in between those two? Samaria. So you have to go through Samaria unless you go around, which is what everyone did, except Jesus, of course, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, right? He said, I must go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at a well and a community of Samaritans. So Jesus is going back and forth from Israel or Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee in the region of Galilee, Galilee, which houses, again, Nazareth, Caesarea, um, Capernaum, all of those are in the region of Galilee, okay? So it says here, he leaves Nazareth, and he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, uh, John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the regions and shadow uh, of death, light has dawned. This right here is an interesting little thing, because who... who did, so God leaves His throne in heaven, and He comes to earth, and so you have the BCs are closing off, right, in our time-space continuum. So Jesus lands on the scene, right, is born. 30 years he lives in obscurity. And now we see the ministry of Jesus. He's 30 years old. What's his first miracle? John chapter 2. Water into wine at the wedding of Cana. Okay? Second miracle is going to be found in, at the end of... Uh, John chapter 4, whatever that is. I don't remember what it is, but it's in John chapter 4. He says, and this is his second second miracle. Um, and so in the midst of that, just think about this now. Jesus is in, in the hub, right? Israel, born in Bethlehem. Israel and Bethlehem are right down the street from one another, if you will. But where does Jesus go? He goes up past Samaria to the region of Galilee where the Gentiles are. Why would that be not the place for Jesus to be, according to the people who were living in that time? Well, what's wrong with that picture, according to the people who are living? Who, who would you think Jesus would go to when he comes to this earth? Who? God is leaving his throne in heaven, and he's going to come to earth. Where does he go? Does he go to the religious? You would think he would go to the church, right? You'd think he'd go to the churches. You think he'd go to the synagogue. And he does go to the synagogues. He teaches at every synagogue in every land that he goes to. For a synagogue to exist, there had to be, what, ten males in that city who were Jewish, and they can start a synagogue. Jesus goes to the Gentiles. And this is the beginning of his three and a half year ministry. And I think it's important because I think we as the church, think just like the religious people did in Jesus' day, and I think it's unfortunate. Jesus goes to the people in the greatest need. Jesus goes to the darkest corners of the earth. Jesus goes to the people that the religious people wouldn't even dare touch nor let them touch them because they were unclean. And they wouldn't allow them to go to church or synagogue if they had touched them and come in contact with the very people that Jesus is kicking it with, hanging out with, shedding light to. 
the darkest. It says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. And I wonder what it is about us where we feel comfortable, I guess, with a holy huddle. We feel very comfortable around Christians or around moral people or around people who are like us. But those aren't the people that Jesus came to. And I dare say those aren't the people that God is calling us to. God is calling us to the dark people, to the people who are in darkness, to the people who are blind, to the people who haven't seen this light. And all he's asking us to do is the very same thing that he does, did. Notice verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's all he's asking us to do, to do the very same thing that he models for us here. To go to where it's dark, to go where people who don't know him, and to proclaim the good news. So was Jesus a healer that preached? Or was Jesus a preacher and a teacher who healed? If you study the life of Jesus, he was a preacher, teacher who healed. Healing brought credentials to who he was. But it was the words that came out of his mouth that brought people to faith in Christ, faith in the gospel. And so God gives us the great commission. He gives us the very same thing. So we're seeing the very beginnings of his ministry and at the end of it, what is he going to say in Matthew chapter 28? The last chapter in the book of Matthew. He's going to say, now you go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Make disciples of all nations. Right? And so disciple making is what we do when we're teaching. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? One is proclamation. You're sharing the good news of the gospel. That's preaching. So you preached to unbelievers. The other is teaching. That's how you make disciples. You teach the word of God. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the word of God. So discipleship is definitely part of the Great Commission. But sharing the gospel in Mark's gospel is necessary for you to be able to teach or to disciple somebody, right? You don't disciple non-believers. You disciple believers. Okay? So you have to preach and teach. And God has chosen to use you and me as his body, as his mouthpiece, as the one to take this message to the lost. He picks up right where John left off. What was John's message in, John, in Matthew chapter 2? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Matthew is going to use the kingdom of heaven, and the other gospel writers are going to use the kingdom of God. They're the same thing. And Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. They were very careful to use the name of God. They used it very sparingly, okay, out of respect for God's name. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the same thing. Verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, Andrew had already been introduced to Jesus. Andrew went and grabbed his brother and said, I found the Messiah. And he came and brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus now walks by the Sea of Galilee, sees these two brothers, Peter and his brother Andrew, and he tells them, follow me. What are they doing? They're casting their net into the sea. 
I find it interesting that Peter and Andrew's ministry will be one of casting the net of the gospel. It's crazy. Exactly what Jesus finds them doing is exactly what they will do. Peter will cast the net of the gospel in Acts chapter 2. And how many will get saved? Andrew is constantly known in the scriptures for bringing people to Jesus. He brings his brother to Jesus. He He's the one that finds the little boy with the a couple biscuits and fish sticks and his little sack lunch. And he says, well, what is this amongst you know so many people? He's the one that tells Jesus that. That's Andrew. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me is universal. <coughs> Jesus calls all of us as Christians to follow him. I will make you fishers of men is incidental. That is unique to Peter and Andrew, his brother. But Jesus will do the same thing with you. It'll just be different. Follow me and if you're a carpenter, I will have you build houses for God. Follow me if you're a computer programmer and I will have you, you know, program for God's glory or whatever. That is your unique thing. Whatever God is calling you and called you to do in this world is your personal thing. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers... James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, and followed him. And so, what will John and James, his brother's ministry be? One of mending. One of mending broken hearts, as you follow their lives in the scriptures. Peter, James, and John will be known as Jesus' inner circle. They will be the ones that will go further and see more, at least recorded in the scriptures, with Jesus. They will be the ones at the Mount of Transfiguration. They will be the ones, um, what else? They will see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They will also, um, Mount of Transfiguration, Jairus' daughter, one other thing. Oh, Garden of Gethsemane. They're the three with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they'll go, that's his inner circle. James will be the first martyr in the church. In the book of Acts, we see that take place. And so, just an interesting dynamic, as we see. Verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel. And so here you see the teaching and preaching. He goes throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed epileptics. That word epileptic in the, in the Greek is uh, lunatics, from, from which we get our Spanish word lunar, right? Moonstruck is how you translate that word. Epileptic. And so that's just an interesting dynamic. By the way, full moon, they don't know why this is, but more people go to emergency hospitals on full moon than any other, any other day. Yeah. Just an interesting little statistic you hear about. <laughs> so Jesus is um, healing, notice, all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, those are paralyzed people, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Gap, uh, Galilee, from De uh, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So that whole region 
is where people are getting wind of Jesus and his ministry, and they're coming to Jesus in droves. Um, Jesus would use healing as a confirmation of his ministry and his credentials, if you will, who he was. He's the Son of God that comes to, to deliver. I like that scripture in Isaiah 61. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, is you know, anointed me to, then he lays out his ministry credentials and what he's going to do. And so healing is still for today. I don't think we see a lot of it because I think we trust in so much more. We trust in hospitals. We trust in medicine. We trust in, uh, we, we, you know, we have money to do things that these people didn't have. But um, Jesus is still healing. Does he heal everybody? No, he didn't heal everybody in the scriptures. And to heal you temporarily but not heal your soul, that's the greatest miracle that anybody will ever experience. The transformation of the soul. To be dead spiritually and then to be awakened spiritually. The greatest miracle that anybody will ever experience. I remember somebody saying of Mary, you know, giving, having a virgin birth. Wow, what a great miracle. But the greatest miracle in Mary's life was she was born again. She trusted in her son as, as her savior. And she writes about it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. The Magnificat. So that's Jesus' ministry. We're going to see in the next chapter Jesus' teaching ministry. Verse 1 says, and I'll close here, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so Jesus is going to share the Sermon on the Mount. As I always say, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man that ever walked this planet. Yeah. And that will be chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. We'll get into, at least start that next time. But that closes out today. Questions, comments, concerns on Matthew 4? The second miracle was uh, revealed the captain's son. Did you read it? Yeah. yeah. It was in John's Gospel 4, right? At the yeah. end? Yeah. Right. Yeah, thank you. He healed... Oh, that centurion son. That's right. Yeah. He said, yeah, you know, you can go to my house. What did I say, captain? Yeah, centurion. Yeah. Centurion, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's good. Heals the centuries. And he even tells them that he doesn't need to go to his house. He could just do it yeah. and he speaks the yeah. word. But he rebukes them, doesn't he? He says, uh, um, if you guys don't see signs and wonders or something, you guys won't believe, huh? It's kind of a little, a little spanky spank there. But he heals them. He's never done a miracle for himself. That's pretty incredible. He'll start picking it up probably uh, in Matthew's Gospel. people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Yeah.